This is a 980 CKNW podcast. You are listening to The App Show. We've uh, got a great program today. Mike Agarbo here with uh, my co-host, John Beeler. We'll uh, be doing a, a messaging app update. Uh, everyone's uh, losing their minds right now about WhatsApp and the new privacy policies coming in and what they're going to be sharing with Facebook. There's other ones out there like uh, Signal and Telegram. We'll tell you uh, how they've been doing over the past few weeks uh, based on all the things that have been going on down in the U.S. and which ones uh, might be right for you. We are also going to be looking at the intersection of tech and fitness. We'll be talking with Sage Watson, an Olympic hurdler, and what she does to monitor her fitness and training. She's got a a wearable that keeps track of it all. Some really interesting stuff. So uh, you you should really... uh, Stick around for that. And uh, we'll be talking about a great little uh, program called Canva. If uh, you want to up your game when it comes to posting uh, social media photos and and graphics, this is a a cool little program that you can use that's pretty simple. Lots of great templates that'll make you look like a star. And we've got Ted uh, Ted Kritsonos, our Toronto correspondent, tell us uh, all about it. But John, let's uh, talk about some of the uh, the news uh, out there. And this was a really interesting one. You know, obviously, COVID-19 is still uh, an enormous part of all of our lives. It doesn't seem to be going away anytime soon. Uh, but an interesting study saying that smartwatches, like an Apple Watch, uh, can actually potentially detect signs of COVID-19 before you're sick. Yeah, this was an interesting uh study uh, done uh, by Mount Sinai, uh, they followed 300 healthcare workers um, between April 29th and September 29th. So really the, the you know, the, the main meat of our COVID experience. Uh, and they were um, tracking their heart rate variability, HRV as it's called. And they actually noticed significant changes in these metrics up to seven days before these individuals had a positive nasal swab confirming their infection. So, you know, keeping a tab on your on your um, resting heart rate, it seems to be a fairly important pre-indicator. I'm wondering if they can actually build this into the software to, you know, potentially suggest that uh, you might want to go get a, a COVID-19 test. Mm-hmm. But, he, but he, yeah, but the, the, it actually showed that before they would test positive, though, up to a week before, this would sort of be like an early warning sign, which is, I think, really fascinating, um, which you can only get from actually having a number of people wearing these watches that are in the trenches that potentially could get infected. Um yeah, I'm just, again, I'm wondering, like, how, how could we take that valuable information and, you know, what they've done here and, and be more proactive with it? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Well, and it's interesting, too, because it wasn't just one smartwatch. It's not just an Apple Watch. It also worked uh, seemingly to indicate on Garmin, Fitbit, and other smartwatches as well. So anyone that tracks a resting heart rate, it sounds like, has the potential to notice that variance. Let's uh, switch over to smartphones. I think we're probably familiar with uh, a lot of the the big guys out there. There's uh, Apple, Samsung, uh, Huawei, obviously a huge player, a little up in the air right now there, Uh, but also LG. They've been around for a number of years, Uh, but over the past five years, they have lost roughly $4.5 billion US. And there's... Uh, indications or rumors going on that LG might be ditching its smartphone business. Is this a surprise to you, John? 
Um, a little bit. I mean, we just saw at CES they had a rollable device that um, could be a smartphone uh, piece of technology. Um, but they've had they've been doing some like kind of interesting and innovative things with their recent phones, which unfortunately haven't really been coming to Canada. So we haven't really had a chance to play with them. Like they they have this Wing smartphone, which is a very interesting design, where it's kind of like two screens sandwiched together, and one sort of twirls open to give you like a T shaped smartphone. And um, you know, just trying to find a different form factor and a different use case for smartphones is always challenging and always interesting though because at least it tends to lead to more ideas in that space so i would kind of hate to see them disappear um, but also there's only so much they can do um, you know until the bank runs dry so i i just wonder though like can they compete against all these up-and-coming chinese smartphone makers you know huawei uh, you know, was poised to, you know, hit number one if, you know, the U.S. hadn't have uh, uh, put, you know, the, the sanctions on them, put them on the entity list. Uh, but, you know, we also have uh, ShowMe, which is another big one. Uh, Vivo, I believe, is uh, another one. Uh, these guys can make smartphones cheaper than anyone. And the technology pace that, uh, uh, that they're, you know, running with, uh, they are very aggressive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's it's definitely a competitive space, um, especially as those, I, I guess, lesser known Chinese companies start making forays into North America uh, and other markets that they had, you know, typically Xiaomi and Vivo, uh, there's a few other, I, I can't think off the top of my head, that are primarily Chinese only, um, but they've gotten so big and so popular there, they, they're just branching out and um, they've already got the factories that can manufacture at scale LG does as well, but I think that the challenge is just trying to stand out from the crowd. Uh, another news bit here, Google launching guest mode for smart home devices with Google Assistant. So I think a lot of us have these Google Homes or the, the Google Nest Hubs, you know, the ones with the uh, the screen. Uh, it uh, will now have a guest mode for uh, folks that are coming over when they're allowed to come over. Yeah, I think this makes a lot of sense. I mean, this would also be good, say, maybe in an office uh, setting as well, um, where somebody has to set up the devices and then guest mode allows you to have uh, functionality uh, to the device without revealing anything specifically personal about that user that is the owner of the device per se. Yeah, and uh, you know, if you don't want your own personal stuff tracked, you can invoke the guest mode so you've got to basically give the command turn on guest mode and it's uh, good to go so i don't know if anyone's going to remember to do that <laughs> you know what i mean yeah yeah but it's it's an interesting thing and it sounds like you know they've already integrated it into the system because you can actually activate it right now just by using the keyword i won't say it to make everybody upset because we triggered all their google devices but tell me about guest mode is all you need to say to your google device and um it will explain all the things that it can do for you in another surprising bit of news here, Ring's Neighbors app exposed precise locations and addresses. <laughs> so Ring is uh, Amazon's uh, home security uh, division. They make the Ring video doorbells and security cams. Now it looks like their Neighbors app, which is only available in the U.S. right now, but will be coming to Canada, uh, had some privacy issues. Yes. <laughs> Actually, Gizmodo discovered this flaw uh, last year that it, that it lets... Um, 
you, basically you can you can create a map of, of the users near near you and you know the idea behind this makes sense because you're you have the ability to share your information that your ring device captures with the police um, but it also uh, you know if if you can't trust the the core system to be secure so that some random journalist can't go in and find out where all the ring devices are if, you know, in the neighborhood, uh, a thief could as well to figure out which house to rob because there is no camera there. Yeah, Rings uh, had a few uh, issues with it. Uh, with this, uh, they've bumped up their security. They've got two-factor authentication now, uh, which uh, helps, and uh, also they're offering end-to-end video encryption. But looks like they've uh, got a bit of work uh, left. Don't forget to hit our webpage and uh, check out our ongoing contests. We're giving away a YubiKey. This is a great little. Uh, USB key that works on laptops, computers, tablets, and smartphones to take security to the next level. The website again, www.getconnectedmedia.com and hit the newsletter tab and all the instructions are there on how to enter. It's pretty simple. When we do come back from the break, lots more to talk about here on the App Show. We're going to talk about uh, wearables and how Olympic athletes uh, are using these for training. Also, the latest uh, in messaging apps uh, from Telegram to Signal to WhatsApp, what's right for you, and uh, a cool little uh, program called Canva and how you can uh, create some social media masterpieces. Back after this. You're back with the show. Mike Agarbo here with John Beeler. We're going to talk fitness and technology now. There are a lot of devices out there, uh, everything from watches and wearables to help track our fitness activity. Well, how does that relate to professional athletes? Well, we've got uh, a great story here for you today. We've got uh, Sage Watson on the line. She is uh, uh, a Canadian out of uh, Alberta, Medicine Hat, Alberta, that uh, has actually been in the Olympics. She's uh, an Olympic hurdler. Uh, Sage, thanks for joining us today. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Is it how you call it, an Olympic hurdler? <laughs> yeah, yeah, Olympic hurdler, that's right. <laughs> uh, I find this interesting. Uh, I think more and more people are getting into wearables uh, now. Uh, they're they're amazing. They've come so far. You know, before it was just basically counting steps, but now you know they can track heart rate, uh, you know, blood oxygen. Uh, as a professional athlete, you know, what, what do you use to 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 track your fitness? Yeah, so my favorite is the Huawei GT um, Pro, and what I love about it is I'm able to actually track my specific workout, and they have different sports apps, so I'm allowed to go in and tell the watch I'm running. And then the watch then goes and measures my distance. It measures um, my heart rate. It actually measures my speeds I'm running, which is super cool because I've never been able to measure the exact speed I'm running. But with the watch, I can measure the exact speed versus my coach just telling me how far I ran in a certain time. <laughs> um, I'm also able to, really important is my heart rate. So keeping track of my heart rate um, and what that looks like, because if my heart rate gets up really high one day, and um, my recovery time saying that I have this much time until I recover, it's kind of a good thing for me to be aware of because then I know, okay, I need to maybe take a rest day tomorrow or I need to take uh, a lighter training day. And that's really important for athletes to monitor those specific things within their bodies because there's a fine line between pushing yourself and then pushing yourself too hard and that can then lead to injuries. So this has been a great tool that I've used in my training um, just to monitor everything. How often do do you train? I train six days a week. Um, I get one complete rest day and that's on Sundays. And 
Um, I like to take a complete rest day and, you know, maybe just do something like a hike or go for a walk. <laughs> you still go outside and do some activity. I would be like laid yeah, out on the couch all day. <laughs> I'm a, I'm a kind of a hyperactive person. So I like to, um, do, I feel like I need to do something with my day. Um, cause I grew up on a cattle ranch in Alberta and we're always working on the ranch and doing something. So I grew up doing something every day. Uh, when you're training, so you're training six days a week, like how, mm-hmm. how many hours a day are you doing training? Like what time to what time? I mean, some days we do two workouts a day. So we'll do a 6 a.m. and then a 3 p.m. Um, somewhere, some days we just do um, an afternoon workout, but that can be anywhere from two to three hours. And then you look at like recovery time. So I usually spend an hour or two hours a day also doing recovery work. Um, so, you know, my days usually end up to be five to six hours of me working on either recovery, training, um, core, restoration, whatever that looks like that day. So you said it actually measures your speed. How, how fast does an Olympic athlete run? <laughs> um, <laughs> I'd have to look. I, so I usually measure my speed when I'm on going on my like longer runs. Okay. Um, and I like to measure, you know, it's really cool because I can then go look on my Huawei health app and I can see the exact route of where I ran and how fast I was in each area. So sometimes if a cool song came on in my headphones and I can see that I ran faster um, through like this 400 meters than I did the, the last 400 meters, it's really interesting to be able to track your pace on your route. And that's one thing I really love about the watch is, you know, seeing exactly where I ran. Um, it's really fun when I go around the track, uh, because I'll look at my, um, GPS and it'll just have a million circles around the track. (laughs) So it's kind of fun to see how fast I was going around the track. Um, and just to, you know, see how many kilometers I actually put on my feet that day. And it's crazy. Sometimes I don't even realize how many steps or how many kilometers I've actually been working out. And then you finally look at I look at my watch, I'm like, oh, wow, I put a decent amount on, even though I felt like it was nothing. Do you actually wear your watch while you're competing or just for training purposes? We're actually not allowed to wear it while we're competing. Um, the They don't want any technology on us while we are competing because it can disrupt um, something that's going on in the race or it can be very disruptive. So I have to take it off. But it's a great tool to use during my warm-up because then I'm while I'm warming up, I'm like, all right, my heart rate's up. Let me take a few minutes rest. Um, and I can just track where my heart rate is because sometimes you feel like your heart rate's up, but that's just because you feel nervous. Whereas I can actually see, all right, my body temperature's getting up, you know, my heart rate's up. So let me just take a little rest before my race and get ready to go. Yeah, that's that's kind of why I was asking because I was curious to know if the pressure of, of competition versus your you know your daily training exercises changes anything and and if it's measurable you know like that extra adrenaline that you would have uh, you know on the competition field for example. Yeah, you see that I see when I'm nervous but on <laughs> my heart rate and that's and I didn't realize how high my heart rate got up when I even started thinking about running or you know even through the visualization process. And that's something really big as athletes, we like to visualize. And they say that when you're visualizing your race, 
even though you don't feel it, certain muscle fibers are twitching and your heart rate is going up like you would be when you're racing. And that's kind of been the cool aspect to track because I'll visualize and I'll look at my watch. I'm like, holy, my heart rate is, you know, up to hundred beats per minute. Like that is crazy that I could just be sitting here and get my heart rate that high by just thinking about my race. But at the same time, that's simulating and getting my body ready for when I actually do race through that visualization. How important is the wearable to your, your training and, and hopefully your success? I think it's been a huge, I, I like to say the little things add up. Um, and I think we can all see that in our jobs and the way we think each little thing that you do cr- comes to this bigger picture, this bigger goal. So me having the watch and being able to track my runs, my recovery time, my heart rate, I think that's been a huge thing for me this year because I'm able to see how fit I am and able to track my heart rate and which has been a huge thing for me also i'm able to time my reps when i'm alone on the track i love the stopwatch feature on this because all it takes is a tap and you're timing you're able to time yourself and then i can go on to my heart rate and see how high my heart rate got each rep so it's been really instrumental into my training this season and um i hope that it pays off which i definitely think so far in my training it has paid off so we're, we're not all Olympic athletes like yourself. Uh, are, are there any tips you could give um, us, uh, our regular folk? I think the biggest thing is when you're getting into training, um, you know, set goals, but set um, exact markers to get towards that goal. So say you want to run a 5K by the end of the year. All right, if you haven't been running at all, just get out the door and run for 10 minutes one day. And then eventually work yourself up because if the first day you go out and decide to run a 5k and you haven't been running at all, you're going to feel discouraged because you're not going to feel the way you wanted to feel. You're not going to hit the times you wanted to hit. So I would say start working towards your goals with small steps um, and that will lead to the bigger goal. We've been talking with Sage Watson. She is a Canadian Olympic athlete uh, doing hurdling. I want to thank you for joining us today, Sage. Thank you for having me. When we come back from the break, more tech to talk. Stay tuned. You are back with the app show. Mike and John here. Going to talk about a really cool uh, app that uh, a lot of folks uh, use for creating uh, social media posts uh, and uh, quite easy to use itself. We've got a great review up on our website done by our own Ted Kritsonos out of Toronto. He's on the line to tell us a little bit about it. Thanks for joining us, Ted. Always a pleasure. Thanks, guys. Ted, uh, Canva is a, a program or an app that uh, I know a lot of people that are in the social media biz have been using for a while now. Can you give our, our listeners kind of uh, you know a Reader's Digest version of what this, uh, this program does? Yeah, it, Canva is kind of a, a graphic arts type of platform. Uh, but the idea is, is that it, it, do, it gives you a lot of templates and, art, you know, items to use if I can put it that way so so you get a lot of tools already made for you so you don't have to have graphics knowledge in order to use it but even if you are a graphics artist you can find a lot of useful elements in there too so I think it's the fact that it caters to both total beginners you know who have never done graphics in their lives and also to those who are very well versed in working with graphics it combines it just brings both of those sides together in an interface that's really easy to use, it's web-based. You don't necessarily have to use a separate app. I mean, there are mobile apps, but on a, on a laptop or a computer, you don't have to uh, use anything separate. You can just do it through a browser. It's cloud-based too, so you're you know whatever you've done is saved, so you can always get to it later. Um, and when you subscribe, especially 
just the sheer volume of content that's in there is enormous. It really, really is big. You almost have to kind of just kind of look at it before we even work on anything, just to, just to get the scope of what's in there. But this is a really useful tool if you're any kind of business as well that, you know, you want to try to manage your Instagram and Facebook pages and, and have like good images with cool text and, and, and what have you up there. What I really appreciated about it, like you said, Ted, is how easy it was to actually make some really cool imagery even if you have like zero knowledge of you know graphic arts programs or anything like that because they've got so many templates totally uh, it's i mean as i said it's an enormous amount like it seems almost endless you're just scrolling and scrolling and scrolling now naturally they have search options so you can kind of weigh down like you can sort of narrow down what it is you're looking for some templates are they are kind of complete already, but then you can then change the text or change maybe an image. So th- there are already different elements that are layered in there and you can then change them as you like. If you have images of your own that you then want to put in, you can do that too. So you can take uh, things that you've designed elsewhere or things that, you've t- you know, that you've, you have been given to you or something and you can put them in there. And the possibilities are pretty endless, but so is, so is the purpose. Whether it's you're, you're putting together a presentation that you want to, you know, a PowerPoint presentation, and you want to add some visuals to it to spice it up, you want to put together some sort of a, a, a birthday card of some kind, like some sort of a, you know, something like that. I mean, they're two very different things, but if you think of everything that's in the middle, it applies to those things too. Uh, I, I was just thinking, you know, really what's there that you can't do on this if you really start to get to know how it works and all the tools that are available. And and it's it's gaining popularity. I mean, I'm seeing a number of YouTube ads now coming out about it. It seems to be coming up more also. I'm even seeing stuff that tech journalists work on where I have a pretty strong feeling that the visuals that they've created for it were probably done in Canva. What's what's the cost of this? I know you can use it for free, but if you want access to, you know, like, te- you know, a lot of the other templates and stuff like that, there is a, a price. Okay, so you can use it for free. Um, it is a trial, though. Okay, so you, you you will, and you you can use it for free to some extent, but but really, it's a, it's a trial. Now, after that, um, if you want to go pro, uh, you can. You're looking at sixteen ninety nine a month, so seventeen bucks a month, or one hundred and fifty six dollars for the year. Okay. It's a, it's a bit up there in price, but you know you get a lot for it. Um, the the free trial is not long, um, but I don't know that uh, as long as you're really working on something on it, I think you'll get a pretty good feel about how it works. So I don't mind that it's not super long. I get why they keep it you know at about a week uh, because if you're working on something, you'll have a pretty good idea of just how easy it is to use and what's available to you. We're talking with Ted Crozonos, uh, all about a cool little program uh, you can run through an app or uh, through the web interface on your computer or laptop to make really cool graphics without really knowing how to do it. <laughs> it's all template driven, <laughs> so you can just basically fill in the text and choose the pictures uh, and the styles, and it just generates uh, the perfect uh, little images. And this is, again, just great uh, You know, if you're trying to get better uh, social media posts, like I said, on Facebook or Instagram or where have you, because it'll actually output them in the right sizes uh, as well, which I think for a lot of people that's pretty handy because sometimes it gets a little confusing as to what size graphics that you have to post. 
Yeah, and, and what I recommend people do if they want to give it a shot is try the free tier first, okay? The pro version has a trial. So you can, you can try it free with whatever tools are available for free. Try that first. And then if you're, you know, if you're starting to like it, then give pro a try for a week and see if you're willing to pay for it. You know, if it's something that you feel you're going to get a lot of use out of, especially when you're running a business or whatever job it is you're doing, or just for whatever artistic pursuits you have, uh, I'm I'm confident that a lot of people I think are, are going to like it simply because it's, there's just so much to do, and it's really easy to use once you just kind of get into it. You know, just just roll with it. We've been talking about Canva, a great uh, little program for designing all kinds of graphics from experts uh, to the beginner. You can check out Ted's review up on our website, getconnectedmedia.com. Thanks for joining us, Ted. Thanks, guys. Always a pleasure. When we come back, more tech to talk. Stay tuned. You're back with the App Show. Mike Agarbo here with John Beeler. We've got Graham Williams with us as well. want to do a little bit of an update on the whole messaging app fiasco going on over the past couple of weeks. You know, Last week, I think we talked about uh, Parler. They were taken down by Amazon Web Services. You weren't able to access it at all. I believe they're up again. Uh, someone decided to, to host them. And uh, you can access it through uh, a website, but not through their apps yet because they're still not allowed up on uh, Apple or, or Google. Uh, but this was interesting, uh, Graham. Uh, we talked about how they were hacked, their entire archive of their user database and all their posts. And uh, this was available online. And now there's an archive that's being converted into an interactive map of the Capitol building attack. Yeah, this is this is fascinating. Taking all of that lovely metadata that we talked about last time. So again, just if you're tuning in for the first time, uh, metadata is all of the information that is captured uh, along with something like a picture or a video. So when you go into your apps and you see all this wonderful data, like the day that it was taken, uh, possibly the people who were in the picture because there's facial identification that goes with it. Um, there is GPS data. Uh, all of this stuff is attached to your, your media. Now, most social media apps, Instagram, uh, Facebook, they will strip that metadata out. That's done automatically so that you don't have people, you know, seeing a picture of your cat and going, I know where you live now. Uh, Parler didn't do that. Oops. So what that does mean is all of the video all of the pictures that were uploaded to this network in real time by, let's be real, terrorists who are attacking the democracy of one of the greatest countries in the world, now, um, <laughs> for basically mapping out their crimes in real time. This to me is, uh, you know, from, from a law enforcement perspective and from a, uh, from a sort of a data gate perspective, it's kind of, and I, I mean the term, you know, in the most truest sense of the word, this is awesome to see. I am awed by how massive uh, of a failure this was on Parler's part, of a mistake this was on the part, part of the folks who were there, and just that we get to consume all of this now at this point. This this interactive map is incredible. So you get an overhead satellite view of the Capitol building, and there's all these little icons for people on there. And you can simply click on any of them and get the video that they took. It, it maps it right to their video. And so the fascinating thing right now is, you know, there there was sort of a brief window, I think, where a lot of folks who like, you know, during the moment, the heat of the moment, uh, they had broken windows, they had stolen 
podiums. They were flipping through Ted Cruz's notes uh, where they were sort of like, yeah, this is our thing. And then they realized we don't really have a plan here today. So they all went back to their Airbnbs. Um, and I think they probably went, you know, this this might have been a bit of a mistake. And so the next day when they tried to get on airplanes and then they realized they had been banned by Delta and by uh, US Air <laughs> and all of these companies, uh, th there were people in tears. Um, you know, we've seen uh, the BBC, ITV, uh, CBC, folks have been going out and interviewing uh, the mothers of some of the folks who were there. Um, a lot of interviews through like half open doorways of, yeah, I know that, that was my kid. I don't really know what happened. Um, <laughs> And so the FBI is now coming knocking. And literally, I think they're just holding up tablets going, yeah, that's you. Uh, do you want to come with us? Well, the, the, go any other way. it's so funny. They don't even need to have any programmers or anything. They can just go on the internet. People are already doing this for them, all their work. Yeah. Do you know what yeah, I mean? Well, and that's, that's kind of an interesting thing because there are, uh, you know, a lot of anti-fascist investigators who around the world have been keep, kind of keeping an eye on these folks because clearly... These are the dangerous ones. They're the ones who are in the Capitol with guns and you know makeshift bombs and things. So it's, it's a good idea that they've been keeping an eye on these people. And this is these are machines that have been working for years where people have been looking at this going, we probably should know who these people are. Now, in a lot of cases, these folks are saying, well, you're doxing me. Uh, yeah, no, you did that yourself. When you showed up, one woman was actually a realtor and she was advertising her realty business in the video that she was streaming from the Capitol. Just massive, massive errors in judgment here, starting not the least of which, uh, when if you're going to be challenging a de democratic system, do it democratically and perhaps not by breaking windows. What's what's a lesson to be learned here though, guys? Like there's all kinds of information uh, going out, no matter, you know, Parler's one example here and we're, we're having a, a little bit of a laugh at their expense, but it's not like the other guys, like the Twitters and the Facebooks of the world aren't collecting this data as well. Well, and I think that comes down to, you know, how how participatory do you want to be in social media? And I think you guys have seen on Facebook, I, I've done, I pulled the ripcord, I'm out. You know, I, I show up every once in a while to tell people to get off Facebook and that's about it. Um, our, our information, our personal information is our currency, right? It's, it's got value. And right now we are giving it away to major corporations. The, uh, you know, Matthew, Brod Matthew Broderick very famously in War Games, the only way to win is not to play. Now, if you want to participate in these networks, um, just keep in mind what, what it is that you're doing. You know, I, I post pictures of my cat on Instagram pretty much exclusively. Um, are there things there that would, you know, suggest my political beliefs or other things that I, I perhaps don't want to share with everybody, my family, my friends? Yes. But do I want the, the world at large to have more of a detailed knowledge or question? Do I want advertisers to know more about me so they can kind of get into my life and sell me more stuff. So the, the takeaway lesson here is be aware of what it is that you are saying about yourself, uh, one of the things that you post, uh, two, the places that you go, and th three, the things that you talk about. Um, when we're looking at social media on the whole, what's the benefit that you get out of it? And so when I looked at Facebook and when I looked at Instagram, I post pictures that I want to share because I want to show people pictures of my cat. My cat's cool. He's cooler than I am. It's awesome. Um, when it came to arranging events on Facebook, you know, I can actually do the same thing through an email or through Evite. And so that for me really was the piece here is, do I get more of a benefit out of this or am I getting less of a benefit out of it because I'm giving my own information away? I think that's the decision we have to make is, is this adding a benefit to my life? I'm telling you this right now, my stress level, the moment that I decided not to participate in social media as much, went right down. Uh, let's uh, quickly talk about uh, the messaging apps. WhatsApp uh, had a big... Uh 
kerfuffle. They were announcing a, a new privacy uh, policy. Now they're delaying that uh, to March. People got all in an uproar because, uh, you know, they were saying that they're going to be sharing more information with Facebook, which Facebook does own WhatsApp. It's, uh, you know, from what I've read, it's mostly just information uh, or, or chats, I guess, you're having with businesses. They would be sharing that information with Facebook, obviously, so they can <laughs> put more ads uh, up there. We talked about the other ones like Signal and Telegraph and Signal got so much uh, traffic, they actually went down for a bit. And so this was actually so awesome to see. I woke up over the course of a few days last week and almost all of my contacts in my phone book, I was getting a notification on Signal. So-and-so's on Signal. So-and-so's on Signal. So-and-so's on Signal. So much so that it brought Signal to its knees for 24 hours. This is a fairly robust platform, but when you have like literally everybody that was on my WhatsApp list is now over on my Signal list in a single day. Yeah, it's not surprising that it kind of took a bit of a dive. And I don't think I don't think they were really expecting it. I figured they, they thought they would have a nice slow ramp in. They did not. It was literally everyone jumped ship all at once, which leads me to believe that people are starting to get the message about Facebook, right? Which it is eating your data. You don't need to do it. And sure, if you want to be on the system, but you don't want them digging into your conversations, which they're saying businesses just now, but how many times in the last three or four years have they said one thing and then we get an, oops, oh, actually, sorry, we meant, everything it was it was a mistake it was a bug i don't buy a word of it so <laughs> i don't trust facebook as far as i could throw mark zuckerberg and i don't get the opportunity to do that so that's not very far at all so if you're doing it signal.org check it out end to end encrypted messaging and it's gonna be a far better choice than whatsapp what about telegram Graham? You know, I like it, but it's closed source. So uh, Signal is open source, which means that you've got a ton of people, security experts around the world looking at it going, nothing hinky is going on here. Whereas with Telegram, as good of a service as it is, you never really know. So open source for this kind of thing, I think is probably one of the most important aspects, which is why I've got both installed on my phone, but the one that I recommend for my friends and my family and people that I trust, that's you, our audience, signal.org. Well, uh, you heard it from Graham. We are going to have to take a break. Uh, when we come back, we'll uh, be chatting with our Toronto correspondent, Ted Kritsonos, all about Canva. This is a great little app uh, or program that you can use to make fantastic social posts. Uh, the very ones that Graham will not be making anymore <laughs> on Facebook. Uh, but it's got all sorts of great templates. You know, if you own any type of business or you're you know, getting more into social media and kind of like to up your game as far as, uh, you know, how the, the images and graphics looks, uh, this is definitely a great program to learn more about, and we'll uh, we'll tell you about it. Back after this. You're back with the App Show. Mike, John, and Graham here. I want to talk about the contest. We are giving away a YubiKey. This is a great little security uh, key that uh, can protect you even further. Graham, can you tell us a little bit more about it? I can, yeah. So we're actually going to have somebody from YubiKey come on to talk about some of the cool things that you can do with it. And we're also going to expand this contest a little bit. I've got a few more of these keys to give away. This thing, what it does is it actually locks down your accounts, a little like two-factor authentication. So again, you know where you get that SMS message? That's not that secure. The YubiKey is a physical hardware piece where they have to have your phone, your password, and this device in order to break into your accounts. It's probably one of the most secure ways of securing your stuff. I'm using it right now on my Mac. I'm using it on my phone. And honestly, you can't beat it. <laughs> so if you think people are out to get you, you wear a tinfoil hat, this is the thing to get, right? 
Just make sure you put the tinfoil on the right side. That's really important. <laughs> I, I kid, but this thing, uh, it, it is pretty amazing. And, uh, you know, if you are concerned about your uh, security and your accounts, this really is the ultimate way to protect yourself. Again, if you want a chance to win this, getconnectedmedia.com, hit the newsletter tab, and all the information is there on how to enter. Once you're entered in, you are entered into all the contests for the rest of the year, and we're giving away thousands of dollars of prizes. Don't forget to hit our YouTube channel as well at Get Connected uh, TV on YouTube and uh, subscribe. And uh, we've got all sorts of great how to videos, uh, mobile phone reviews, app reviews. Uh, there's so much good stuff up there. I want to thank Graham and John, and of course, Christina, for helping put the show together. We'll see you again next time. You've been listening to a 980 CKNW podcast. Listen live at cknw.com, the Radio Player Canada app, TuneIn, Amazon Alexa, HD Radio at 101.1 FM HD2, and on the AM dial, 980 CKNW.